Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Faber. It's Pastor Jonathan Mason, and I want to welcome you back into the pastor's office. Uh, The weather outside is delightful. Is that the right word, Chris? Is that the right word for the song? Chris is like 20-something years old. He has no idea what the words are. It's okay. It's all right. It's all right. But the weather's all right. Uh, And I know that everybody is running to and fro, uh, getting prepared for the Christmas uh, celebration that will take place on tomorrow. Uh, So I I pray uh, that all of you have done everything necessary. I pray that you have not run up all of your credit cards, run up up the entire credit line that you took out on the house, uh, getting gifts for people who aren't going to appreciate them in the first place. Uh, But uh, most importantly, and, and I say this from a place uh, that has become more real to me in 2023 than it ever has. I pray that you spend some great and quality time with your family uh, and remembering what this season is all about. Uh, it, is the, uh, it is the season when we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, and whether he was born in the winter or born in the spring, doesn't matter. We just thank God he was born. Uh, and so we just uh, ask you, take this time uh, to spend with family, friends, uh, because you never know uh, when that opportunity will not arise for you again. I, I, to that end, I got to share something with you. And I'm going to be totally transparent. I try as my be- as best I can uh, to be transparent with you on this journey that we're on together. Uh, you know that my mom passed on August the 13th. Uh, and the toughest assignment I've ever had in ministry was to preach her eulogy. Uh, my mom died at the age of 90 years old. Uh, and while she was an Alzheimer's patient, what really was the cause of the cause of death was her COPD. She just could not breathe anymore. Uh, and you know, uh, as a kid, uh, I always used to say to my mom and my dad, uh, I hope that I die before you do, uh, because I do not know what I would do, uh, on this earth without the two of you with me. Uh, And they always used to get really angry when I'd say that. And now as a parent, I understand why, uh, because everything that I do as a parent is to make life better uh, for my 13-year-old, my 17-year-old Jonathan and Jackson. Uh, So I get it. I get it. And I understand it. And I'm thankful that I have the strength uh, to still stand, even though mom uh, has moved on from labor to reward. But can I share this with you? There are times when I'm driving down the highway uh, on my commute to the office where I just randomly start crying. 
tears just start flowing. And, and it's not that I had been just thinking about mom and dad, but all of a sudden it hits me that I can't call either one of them, that they're, that they're no longer here physically uh, uh, with me uh, and my brothers. And I'm 51 years old, y'all. And I consider myself to be a strong person for, you know, uh, you know, you, uh, you know, my history, pastor, uh, Northeast Baptist Church, you know, former international president of one of the great, the greatest black fraternity in the land, Phi Beta Sigma, uh, you know, uh, business owner, all of these things. But I'm driving down the road with tears running down my eyes. And I've never told anybody that. I've never shared that with anybody. And that's indicative of the plight of the black male because we hold a lot of things in. But because I have two guests on today that have written a book about mental health, uh, specifically the mental health of the black male, um, I feel comfortable sharing this. Uh, because we go through as black men a lot of trauma, a lot of issues. And because we're men, black men, we keep it to ourselves. And in a lot of cases, it leads us to an early grave. Well, I'm so glad to have my two guests today. I'm really excited. Um, they have written a book called The Invisible Ache. Black men identifying their pain and reclaiming their power. Can I tell you who the authors are? Well, first author is a licensed psychologist. She first came to our attention, and I remember this. I used to come home and, and watch Oprah at 4 o'clock every day, uh, but she was the on-air therapist for the Oprah Winfrey Show. She currently has a serious XM show. Uh, on Urban View 126, it's the Dr. Robin Show. She's the best-selling author of Lies at the Altar, The Truth About Great Marriages. So I want to welcome into the pastor's office for the first time, Dr. Robin Smith. Dr. Robin Smith, welcome into the pastor's office. Thank you, Pastor, so much for welcoming me. And I'm also a native Philadelphian, so we want to make sure that we know and represent that um, I was born and raised here, and Philly is still my home. So thank you so much for your gracious um, invitation. And, and a Temple graduate, no less. And I, I want you to know my, my 17-year-old is on his college hunt right now, and I am really—we live in New Jersey, but I'm trying to get him to agree to go to Temple. I think it's selfish on my part because I don't want my boy going too far away, but Temple's a great education. So so thank you for bringing up the fact that you are Philadelphia born and raised. And now let me introduce our second guest. Uh, you know him from the hunt for Red October, the preacher's wife, uh, the adventures of Huck Finn. Uh, he played Johnny Cochran on The People versus O.J. Simpson. But I got to tell you my favorite role. I got to tell you my favorite role. He played C.L. Franklin in the movie Aretha. And I'm going to tell you why that's my favorite role. Because I remember as a child sitting in my living room when my dad came downstairs with his suitcase and his bag. And, and I said, Dad, where are you going? He says, I'm on my way to Detroit. We got to go, go funeralize T.L. 
Uh, CL was one of my dad's great friends uh, in ministry. Uh, this gentleman is a two-time Emmy winner, a Tony winner, uh, and has multiple NAACP Image Awards. Let's welcome to the pastor's office, Mr. Courtney B. Vance. Uh, Courtney, welcome into the pastor's office. Thank you, Pastor. It's such a, a pleasure to be here in this time in this season uh, talking about this book that Dr. Robin and I wrote uh, for such a time as this. Well, let, let's jump right into it. Um, this is an important topic. You heard me in my introduction uh, uh, talk about the tears that I've been shedding, and, and, and this, this conversation is not about me, but I feel like I'm like a lot of black men. I don't let it out. Uh, but, but that's been going on for time and memoriam. What inspired the two of you to actually put pen to paper and bring this, bring this, this book to life? Dr. Robin, why don't you start? Yes, you know, I will say, first of all, thank you for your transparency. It's so important that we as uh, black people, but certainly as black men and as clergy, um, as leaders, that we set the example of vulnerability being a part of our superpower. And so those tears that you talk about crying that no one knew that you did uh, in secret that not only God saw, but it is so important for you to give permission to all black boys and men that tears are our teacher. They tell us what hurts. They tell us where to pay attention to things. And so Courtney B. Vance, as you said, the great Courtney B. Vance, who is not only a tremendous actor, but a a human being like none other. And I mean that because I know him, and I love him, and I respect him. Yeah. Courtney and I came together. Uh, his father died 33 years ago from suicide, death by suicide. We don't use committed suicide because suicide is not a crime. This isn't committing uh, murder. It's not committing robbery. It is when despair caught up with someone, and in this instance, Courtney's father. And uh, Courtney will share, he was at the top of his own career at the time, but his father died by suicide. He got a terrifying call from his mother. And then three years ago, his 23-year-young godson, just 23 years young, a black, young, brilliant, bold, beautiful, kind, generous young man, also died by suicide. And so Courtney made a decision that these two very important men, and of course his father, um, his hero, that he was going to break the cycle and break the silence around depression and anxiety and thoughts of suicide and despair and remind black men that it is their divine birthright to be whole, to be free, and to be human. And so that's how we came together and how we decided to write The Invisible Ache, Black Men Identifying Their Pain and Reclaiming Their Power. Well, I, I got to ask this question because I'm sure uh, that you uncovered this in your research. Um, Courtney, why is it that we hold it in? 
Why don't we let it out? Is it a pride thing? Is it a masculinity thing? I think for me, it's 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 a masculinity thing. Like I feel like if I'm vulnerable in that manner, I'm weak, which is totally not true. But why is it that in general we just hold these things to ourselves? Well, a, a lot of it is we you know our, our our twins are seventeen going on eighteen, and we're in the middle of the college search and. One of the things that we the college hunt, and one of the things that we talk about, you know, in, in regard to this new place that colleges are now, uh, in terms of you know applications and um, it, because the brave new world, it's not anything like when we went to school, is that it's you know we don't know that we don't know, you know we don't know that the game is shifted. All we know is what we knew. When we went to school, that had nothing, very little to do with what's happening now. And I had no idea that, I mean, I was an actor, so emotions to me were, I knew, I know are my superpower. I, I know it. But if, you do, if you're not an actor and if you're not in touch with your emotions, if you don't go to church and let the, the, the go to movies and let the, like I do, and let the, I search for an opportunities for the, the catharsism to happen. If you don't know how to do that or don't know that you can do that or can't do that, emotions are very frightening. So, of course, you, you hold on and hold in and don't want – there, there, there was no, no therapy for C.L. Franklin when he came from uh, – his father gave him the, the, the ultimatum, either the pulpit or the plow, mm. and he chose the, the, the pulpit. And and you know walk the two the, the twenty miles or forty miles into town to begin start his preaching career at sixteen. Nobody you know could you know nobody knows that, that, that therapy is expensive and and it's a long process. So who's to say if I even do it, you know I might as well stay with the as the saying goes with the devil I know uh, and the devil I don't know. And you know who's to say. So the, the, and the, it's not like I can try it, and then if I don't like it, I mean, you you got to go in it. in order for it to potentially work. You got to go all the way in it and commit to it. So it's a lot. It's a lot. There is no guarantees, and there's no, no nobody in my neighborhood is doing it. I'm not going to get no encouragement from nobody. You know, I don't know where to start. I did the therapy is expensive. I hear, you know, the, my insurance. I mean, it, it's all of it. A whole lot, it's a whole lot of, of different it. reasons, and, and don't even bring into the history of our slavery and and how we're still dealing with, you know, what's going on in this country, Jonathan Majors, and all of these things that are continually happening to people of color, and you know, so it's it's a thing. Where do you begin? And that's where Dr. Robin and I come in with our book, with my experiences and her expertise to be able to to cut this down to size. So black men and the people who love them can understand that this is, is you, you, we spend so much time working in suffering. We, we know how to suffer. We'll stay in something for, well, I know I, I, know I got something going on in my body, but I, I, that man ain't going to poke me in my booty um, for my prostate. I'm not doing that. Oh, no, no, I'm doing the, And then the, the, when the doctor finally gets to you, he shakes his head. If only you had been here a little sooner. That, that, what are we going to do with the, the, the fact that we don't know? Are we going to let that, you know, this is 2023. Or when, when, it, when is it going to be time for us to say it's time to take care of ourselves? Right, right. Now, now you mentioned, and I just want to follow up on this, you mentioned 
that because of your acting experience and knowing how to be in touch with your emotions, uh, that, 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 that was something that helped center you, uh, to really get to the core of, of your feelings. Cause you, you've dealt with some trauma in life, but were there mm-hmm. any other triggering factors that said, man, I got to get a hold of this or I'm going to explode. I, I, I ran away from my, my, my college sweetheart. Uh, and and what that cost me that was one of the triggers that that made me realize I need to I need to deal with this I need to deal with this and and I'm, I need to prepare because I, I I said I need to prepare my once once I did that I, I hurt myself my soul that way I said I need to prepare myself for the next wonderful young lady that comes in because right now I'm not ready I I wouldn't know what to do with a beautiful soul so I had to get pr- prepared for. For, for the next young lady, that next young lady was Angela. And if I hadn't done the work for to get ready for Angela, I wouldn't be the guy wouldn't be wouldn't have brought me her. And then once we brought me her, then I had to then I had to do the work to be in relationship with her. Thought I was ready, I wasn't ready. So you know, and then my my mother said, "Get ready, go find some therapy to get to to, to do your thing." And then I still had to more. There was more work to do with. And I ran away from my my longtime girlfriend at the time, and then I had to get ready for Angela and do the work for her. I mean, it's just what it, it's a commitment to self is what we're talking about. And Dr. Robin will will jump in here and say, but it it's it it, it, it at, at a certain point something's going to happen in a life in our lives to make us to make us confront where we are and make a decision to for 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 life. For abundance, as God has called us to, not just to to get by and get over, for abundance, whatever that's going to take, I'm going to do. Go ahead, Doctor yeah, Robin. And abundance, yeah, and abundance on this side of the Jordan, mm. not the other, mm. because so often we hear, and particularly Black Christians, talking about their and what I call it's really an addiction to suffering. We don't say that, but there is an addiction and an attachment to suffering where I'm going to suffer here and I'll be rewarded over there. That is not scripturally sound. That is not what is being asked of us. It is being asked that I've put life and death in front of you. Choose life. But it is a choice, it is a decision, and it requires, as Courtney is saying and the book is illuminating, it requires that we do the work. And something else that Courtney pointed out, and we say this on the road wherever we are, this issue of depression and anxiety and uh, suicide often which has happened in many families where it is kept a secret. You know, part of what is so powerful about this is that Mommy Vance, Courtney's mother, she did something that so few people do, even now, but certainly given when this happened, the generation that she was born into, you know, that you just keep things in the house. You know, you don't you don't let anybody know what's going on. She did something radical. She said to Courtney and to his sister after they spent a, mo- a, a month with their mother after his father's suicide, getting things in order, 
she <coughs> took them aside and she said, we're going to all get therapy when you go back to your respective cities. I want you to find someone who can help you, someone that you can talk to. I want you to get therapy. And it's so different and it is so radical that instead of her going inside and condemning her children to secrecy and to lies, she said, oh, no, we're not going to do that. Not only are you going to get help, mommy is going to do the same thing. So this was not a parent who said, do what I say, not what I do. She Mm. said, I'm going to set the stage. And there's an African proverb that says the lion's story will never be known as long as the hunter is the one to tell it. And so what Courtney Mm. and I are doing in the Invisible Eight is we are inviting all black boys and men and all of those who love them to come to the floor, to the sacred and holy floor of their own lives, that it's like an old-fashioned altar call Mm. where you are being called by the divine to come on down and Mm. reclaim your purpose, reclaim your power, but also be able to understand that, Pastor, we all have holes, H-O-L-E-S. I mean, all of God's children have holes, and we're longing to be whole, W-H-O-L-E, which is a holy, H-O-L-Y journey. And so the Invisible Ache is a proclamation to our divine birthright as Black people, and particularly as Black men and Black boys, to be whole even in the broken places. I, first of all, let me say this. Let me. I'm so I'm so captivated by the conversation. I'm forgetting to do an ID. So let me do that real quick. You're listening to Philly's favorite 100.7 FM and 100.3 WRNB HD3. We are in the pastor's office talking to Dr. Robin L. Smith and Courtney B. Vance about uh, their wonderful new book, The Invisible Ache, which talks about uh, the journey of black men and mental health. I, I you guys are dropping wisdom. And I, I got to just jump back real quick because, Dr. Robin, you said something that is 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 so important uh, when it comes to this thing we call the Christian walk. Uh, most of us who are 70s babies, I'm a 70s baby, and those that came before, you know, we came from a, a religion and a, and a belief system, like you said, that we're going to struggle here. But but there's joy in the morning, you know, and, 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 and as you shared, that is, it. They, I really believe that system came about, as, as I did my research, because of slavery, you know, and, and the struggles that our people had being in captivity. 
negativity and not uh, not access to, uh, no access to anything uh, that could advance their cause. Uh, and so so the itinerant preachers would come to the different plantations and say, everything's going to be all right when you get to heaven. Uh, but God wants you to enjoy the creation that he has allowed you to exist in. And life is not meant for struggle and suffering. You will have trials and tribulations. There's no doubt about it. But at the end of the day, God wants you to experience experience joy and you can experience joy while you're still living and breathing doctor bringing that out to our folks is so critical it's critical and it's also uh it's a real challenge because if we have made despair our cooling board Mm. it is a challenge to recognize that That wasn't God's intention. That was not how we were made. You know, I tell this story about like a gas stove, cooking stove. And if if your stove has been broken and you light your stove with a match, and then you go to somebody else's house and they take the knob and turn it on, and you're like, well, why are you doing that? Why aren't you using a match? They're unaware that the original nature of how that stove was built when it is working properly does not require extra labor. Well, that is the same thing Courtney and I are saying to black men, that the burden and the shackles that are now maybe off of your ankles and your hands, but they're on your mind, the lies that are on your mind that, you aren't worthy and aren't worth what it requires to do the work of liberation, to excavate yourself out of hell on this side and mm. receive the, the abundance and the liberation that belongs to you right here and right now. But that does require work. So, 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 so work. Let's, let's focus on that because a lot of people can make excuses. A lot of people, a lot of men can talk about how hard it is to be a black man in America. And we know it. We, we, we know that this society, I tell people all the time, this society was not set up for us to be high achievers. Uh, but that cannot be our crutch. And, and, and I talk when we mentor young black boys uh, uh, at our church and at the camp I have in Virginia, uh, we talk to them about the fact that you are not defined by your zip code, but you're defined by your character. And if your character is right and your motivators, your motivation is right, then you can achieve anything in this life. But, 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 but Brother Courtney, please help me understand how we help our brothers to overcome— the the idea of work that that if something takes work something is wrong right it should come easy mm-hmm. this is a generation that that we our our generation i was born in the 60s our generation the 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 the, the phone went around in a circle and then came back so you had to hello somebody you had to wait for it yes sir you had to wait my lord seven days mm-hmm. for the check to clear. So the expectation 
was a different expectation that you had to wait for the TV to warm up before it came on. <laughs> you you had to wait for because there was no power steering unless you had a lot of money, and there was no. You had to go to the library, not the library, the library, and go down the street to do your research and your homework because there was no computer. So the expectation was there was no phone uh, message machine. So if somebody got on the phone, you had to say, trying to get on the phone, and you waiting for a phone call. He said, no, 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 no. I'm waiting for a phone call. Mm-hmm. You can't get on the phone. And there was no call waiting. So if you on the phone and somebody's calling you, there was no buzz for you to flip over. So there's no expectation in this generation of waiting. And so any kind of thing that requires them to wait and conversely to work, something's wrong with it. If I got a call, I'm calling somebody and they don't pick up the phone and there's no phone machine. Oh, I got to call them back. Oh, I, I ain't calling them now. Oh, I got to talk to somebody. Oh, no, I ain't talking to nobody on the phone. I, I, text me. Email me, Instagram me, Snapchat. So the art of waiting, the art of talking to people, the art of collaborating is being lost and but on the altar of technology and efficiency. You're going to have somebody drive, uh, get in a car, and, and, it, and it, it, there's nobody in the car driving. You, 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 you're going to... You, the, the, you, the, you, we're not realizing that eventually that technology is going to come back and bite us, as Hal did in 2001 Space Odyssey. You have, we, the, the, the technology is wonderful, but at, we must understand that people are the center of this, this universe. And you, we have to learn to balance the, the technology so that we don't get lost in the sauce, and we're getting lost. Our young people are getting lost, which is why they don't have any. They they think there's nowhere to turn, especially after that that pandemic. There's nowhere to turn, so the only thing they can do because there's no Jesus and nobody's going to church because the you know the the pandemic put us on. You know, the, there's no need to go into the church. You can do it other ways. Um, so that 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 that's one more thing that has unmoored us. So the, the, the suicides are an epidemic. You know, so the, 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 the idea of work, I'm going to come back to it, work, mm-hmm. I always say somebody may be more talented than me because I was a three-sport all-state athlete in high school. If, if somebody may be more talented than me, but nobody will outwork me. Mm-hmm. I know the value of work. Mm-hmm. I know that if something is out of order, I will put it in order without any look for, well, thank you, Courtney, for ordering that for me. That was a, no, no, I don't need you to tell me thank you. My thanks come from above. My thanks are the knowledge that I'm here to help. I'm here to serve. So the, the whole idea of the, that, that, that has happened in, in our society, something has shifted so the idea is something requires us to work, something's wrong with it. And there's nothing wrong with the, the fact that it's going to take a minute for you to get to where you need to go. That's delayed gratification. So when you get there, the idea of the journey that you've got that gives you a sense of accomplishment, which makes you for the next time something's going to take, going to take a lot for you to do, you know I did that, then I know I can do that. So wow. that whole 
spirit has been taken away from us. Two things, two things. Uh, uh, we've spoken a little bit about suicide, um, and I want to just delve into that with you, Dr. Robin. Uh, I've got two classmates, two classmates um, that committed suicide early. Uh, one, and, one, and, and we're just going to remind you, died by suicide. Let me, let yeah, me say, not, okay, died by yep, suicide, died, by, died suicide. by suicide. Keep correcting me on that. I, I like, okay. I like, yeah, I like the positioning all, on that. Absolutely. Yeah, we're all learning. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But, but they died by suicide. One, a couple years after we graduated high school, another, uh, uh, a few years later, both because of broken male-female relationships. Mm-hmm. Just, just they did not think they could live on after these young ladies left them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and certainly as a pastor, I've experienced death by suicide uh, mm-hmm. uh, of members and people that are connected to families that I serve. You know, help me understand. Please, you know, what, what, one, what the book helps us to understand about this thing uh, called uh, death by suicide, and then how we can get people help who are in this type of crisis. Well, one thing I want to uh, remind people right now who are listening is you can text uh, or, um, you know, call 988. Um, that is the National Suicide and Lifeline Hotline. It is there. They are there 24 hours, seven days a week. These are people who aren't going to judge or shame or blame. Uh, we talk in the invisible ache that when someone, pastor, is desperate and talking about suicide, one of the things we do, and particularly uh, in the church, is we tell people, oh, don't say that. Uh, that's, you know, that's not God's will for you. Uh, what would I do without you? I couldn't live and go on. And we shut them down. How often is someone trying to tell us, I hurt? And this is what we ask in the book. We don't ask, do you hurt? Because we already know that black men living in America hurt. We ask, where does it hurt? And how does it hurt? And how does that hurt show up? And so this issue around suicide is often exacerbated because the people who love these men and boys don't know how to tolerate a conversation that is uncomfortable. So we would rather shut someone down not understanding that if we shut the person down, it is more likely that they might take their lives than if we could gird ourselves up for the courageous journey of hearing how and where someone hurts. Where do you hurt? How does that hurt show up? And so when someone and a man you're talking about loses a love relationship, well, if we tell him, man, let that go. I mean, there are so many women out here. She's not worth, you know, we have shut his pain down. Yeah, yeah. We told him that what he's feeling 
is not legitimate. And so it's very different if someone says, I, I'm not sleeping at night. I mean, I, I thought I could get over this, but I haven't been able to find my way. And the question we want to say to people, particularly black men and black boys, we want to get quiet and say, tell me more. Hmm. Tell me where you ache. Tell me what that ache is saying to you. Tell me more. I, I got to tell you, I, I could sit here and talk to you guys all day, but I know your schedules are busy and I need to let you go. Uh, it, 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 there's another piece of this conversation, which is our, our young our young black boys who, who feel they have no hope. And I just and I really would love to explore that with you. But we we can I, I, I'd like to do a part two if, if you two are willing to come back and talk to me again as we push the book and maybe even do a book signing with you uh, since you are right based right here in Philadelphia, Dr. Uh, Smith. This thing is just so necessary. It's such a necessary conversation. And um I'm just thankful that you joined us here today. Why don't we end this way? Why don't we end this conversation, today's conversation? Uh, let's tell people where they can find the book. Uh, we know it's on Amazon. Um, we know you can get it at any of your book deal. But any, are there any, I'm not trying to catch you off guard or anything, but any black-owned bookstores you want to direct folk to, or black, you know, where we can support our own? If not, that's no problem. Sure. But any yeah, thoughts? Yeah, no, no, no. There are black-owned bookstores all around the country. And we know this because they are um, not always, but often the people in Los Angeles and in Washington, D.C., and in Baltimore and in Philadelphia, who are, uh, of course, Barnes and Noble and Amazon and all the big, wherever books are sold. But what I would encourage people to do is to uh, look for your black bookstore in your area. And and if they don't have it, this is important because I can tell you here in Philadelphia, initially, some of the black bookstores did not have it. But, you know, sometimes we, we have not because we ask not or we ask somewhat off, amiss. And so I invite, and I know Courtney does as well, that you check in with your not just the black bookstores, but the small bookstores I am finding are, uh, when they hear about the book, I was just in the airport in Chicago, and I asked for the book, and they said, we don't have it. But they looked it up, and they said, why don't we have this book? We need this book in the airport in Chicago, in Atlanta, in Philadelphia, in Los Angeles. So uh, the book can be found wherever books are sold. And also, you can follow Courtney on his social media, uh, which is Courtney B. Vance. Um, is that right, Court, at Instagram? I think your Instagram uh, handle, is that right? Courtney B. Vance, and, at Courtney B. Vance. Yeah, Courtney, yep, Courtney, at Courtney B. Vance. And mine mm-hmm. is at Dr. Robin L. Smith. Um, mm-hmm. Courtney's website, my website, uh, Dr. Robin L. Smith uh, or Dr. com. So just you can find us and you can find this book and the book is waiting 
for you to seed into your life. The Invisible Ache Black Men Identifying Their Pain and Reclaiming Their Power. It is right now for Christmas and for the new year. Um, a new year, new you requires new information that you put inside. Dr. Robin L. Smith, legendary actor Courtney B. Vance, I want to thank both of you for joining me in the pastor's office. And and as I share with uh, my church members, uh, this is not goodbye. This is uh, see you later because I really pray uh, that we will be able to continue this conversation uh, in the form of uh, in some public setting where we can have an audience uh, and really engage uh, and really really, really deal with some of these very important topics, mental health and black men in America. Thank you guys for joining me. And we're going to be reaching out to you to talk to you again real soon. God bless you and have a very Merry Christmas. God bless you too. Same to you, Pastor. Thank you so much. Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you're while listening to Phyllis Faber. Yeah. Take a minute, turn the radio up. Yeah. And take a seat in the pastor's office. Right. Well, the frequency, yeah. tune in. Get a word with Reverend Jonathan Mason. Oh, yes, you should. Take a minute, turn the radio up. And take a seat. Son.